Are you ready? Can't the New York Jets can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're gonna win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jet fans. Jet fans. Jet fans. Are very passionate. Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jet fans. Very passionate. Brady sucks. Don and unbelievers. everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast. Broadcasted to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. You're going to join the show this week in progress. Second part of our interview with Bob Letterer, the author of Beyond Broadway, Joe. Great book. We chatted about the book last week, the 68 Jets, the full team themselves, the coaches. A lot of great stories Bob had for us in tidbits. This week we get into the current Jets team, Sam Darnold, Adam Gase, coaching, Greg Williams, some other topics. So here's part two. Hope everyone enjoys. So Bob, you know, we really haven't had a lot of hope, you know, since the day the New York Jets changed the world, changed the NFL. And Murr got the NFL to become the NFL, actually. And it's been, you know, a tough road since that time. And this year, or last year, 2018, the New York Jets selected Sam Darnold with the third overall pick from USC. What were your thoughts on the drafting of Sam Darnold and how he performed his rookie season? Well, the Jets were so bad two years ago that I spent more time watching the four college quarterbacks on Saturday. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Than I did watching Sunday because I really wanted to get a feeling myself of who I thought the best quarterback was. That's smart. And yeah, Darnold had a propensity for fumbling the ball when he would run with it. But I thought that he was the best quarterback, you know, available. Uh, Mayfield, extremely exciting. But I just kept remembering what Weeb Bank had written about how smaller quarterbacks will only take you so far. Um, and so there's no doubt that rookie year, Baker Mayfield had the best you know, year of any of the, of the four quarterbacks. But Darnold is the guy that I wanted. And when, when the Giants took Barkley and, and he was going to fall to the Jets... And you know, my only concern was, are the Jets going to screw this up and not take Darnold? No, no. If the, the Giants didn't take Darnold, I, I, I wanted them to take Darnold so bad, Bob. I'm a Giant fan. I mean, I love the Barkley pick. Don't get me wrong. But we need a quarterback, Bob. Yeah, Bob, our engineer on the show here, he's uh, he's a big-time Giant fan. And when they passed... Now, we, we know, obviously, obviously Barkley's great, but... Which it goes going going back to even Joe Namath era, a Bart Starr, and you bring it up, the good co- you, the quarterback is what you invest in, oh, God. and I think the Giants made a gigantic mistake. So oh. a great college quarterback is who you invest in, and and the thing that I have noted to people that nobody else has said or written at all, Joe Namath was the number one rated college quarterback who came out in 1965. Yeah, I saw that. And the Jets him. Yeah. You know that between 65 and last year, the Jets, yes, they did draft quarterbacks in the first round and the second round later than that, but they never were able to draft the number one rated college quarterback. That's correct. Yeah. Until, until they, they got Sam Darwin. Now, uh, and I agree with you, Bob. I will be honest, and Keith can attest to this, I wanted Baker Mayfield. I wanted him because I thought he looked the best. And I Darnold scared me with his fumbling. It wasn't even in the interceptions that bothered me about Darnold. It was the fumbling. I was like, oh man, the, the you know shades of Sanchez would scare me about that. But I will tell you that he only had 
uh, he had two fumbles on the season technically. One of them I don't count because it was a handoff to Isaiah Crowell and they put it on Darnold. It should have been on Crowell. But he literally had one fumble the entire year and I thought that I was pleasantly surprised. And to be honest, I think you're right. Even though Mayfield had a better year than Sam, I think the the bar is much higher for Sam Darnold. And as you know, Tony Romo, as well of an announcer as he is, and he's able to talk and almost guess the plays ahead of the plays that happen, he really has a good feel for the game. He is in love with Sam Darnold. He thinks he's going to be the best quarterback in the NFL. Well, he's got he's got size. You can't teach size. Yeah. And you can't, and you know, Baker Mayfield has great flexibility and elusiveness. Darnold, for his size, has the same thing. You know, we didn't see it much because I think they don't really want him to run that much out of the pocket. But at USC, when he was surrounded and need to get out of trouble, you know, he could do it. He had the arms and the strength, excuse me, the legs and the strength to get himself open. So um, I am. I'm very optimistic about him, but the question that I have is probably what you guys and everybody else who's a Jet fan shares, and that is, do they have the management and the coaching that's going to put the talent around him that will allow him to succeed? I mean, they have to have an offensive line that really takes the pressure, (coughs) and at the same time, that can block know uh, with some decent running backs and, and they gotta get some wide receivers i mean they they have to have they gotta get some guys who have some length and who can really jump and get the ball so that donald can can throw the ball where only the receiver can get to it and right now all they have is a bunch of five foot eleven and six foot and six foot one inch guys and none of them is really that big a jumper and, and i think that's you know, I think that's what has made their tight end situation so much better. Is they finally have a tight end who can go out and get himself open uh, and, and really become a threat. They've never, they haven't had that for years. And Fred, when we're talking about coaching and the decisions the Jets made when it comes to coaching, I have two questions for you. One, kind of what you think about the coaching hire when it comes to Adam Gase, and two, did you see? Adam Gase's press conference, and if you did afterwards, when you saw his eyeballs looking all over the all over the place like a <laughs> lunatic, like he was he was you know withdrawing from drugs or something, did it make you less confident in him as a coach, or do you not care at all about press conferences? I, I, I just you know I, I'm a journalist by trade. I have my own publishing company, and so I'm used to dealing with people in the media. And once in a while, you run into somebody who you can tell is just very, very careful, ultra careful, yes. not saying anything. And I don't know who in their communications or PR department sat down with Adam Gaze before that press conference. But aside from the googly eyes, he just couldn't answer a question without just falling back on every cliche that was out there. In his defense, somebody pointed out to me, and I did check it out, and, and you should check it out too if you have, but... Um, he immediately after that press thing, he went over uh, to, uh, what's his name on... Uh, oh, you talking about Michael K? Yeah, yeah. Michael K had him on, and they were they were together for 15 or 20 That was an absolutely great interview. That was a good interview. And it was. It was. It was, it was. And he, he let his hair down. 
It's so funny, Bob. It's so funny you say that. Not to interrupt you. I what you just said. That's a point I've made to people because for whatever reason, in that environment where I guess he didn't feel like those eyes were looking at him. You don't have the cameras on. You can kind of just chill out and talk football. That interview on Michael K. Show. I was like, wow, he's coherent. Everything he's saying makes sense. They were talking about Sam and how he couldn't speak to him till April. Like I was like, wow, this this is completely different than what I just saw. And you're looking around the room and you look like a maniac and they're making memes on the internet. On a radio interview? I was like, this, this guy's convincing me he knows what he's talking about. Well, he's a, he's a professional coach. And he's been a head coach. And he has developed quarterbacks. And I know there are people that suggest, what did he teach Peyton Manning? Well, you know what? I taught Pey- Peyton Manning enough that Peyton Manning called the Jets and said, if you can hire this guy, hire this guy. Bob. I, I met Peyton Manning and so... Uh, you know, I, I understand and I respect what's going on there. Uh, My concern is I looked at what they did is, wow, they've got quite a combustible coaching staff there. Um, and, I, you know, frankly, really, I don't know. As much as I like Greg Williams, I don't know how you let him hire his son to be on the coaching staff. Well, that and that's what I was trying to get in. You know, on the face of the team, that they, the coaching staff that Gase put together, it's actually a pretty good coaching staff. But the uh, the the potential of drama that is on this team, the reason why the, the hard knocks wanted to come after us, not only about the fact that Greg Williams wanted his son and they had to negotiate that he would just be an assistant and not an actual position coach, but the fact that Gates is married to Joe Vitt's daughter, okay? Right, right? And that So he's married to, so he hires his father-in-law to be the linebackers and strength defensive assistant under Greg Williams, and guess who who called out Greg Williams in the Bounty Gate uh, situation? It was Joe Vitt who testified against Greg Williams and said all these things about Greg Williams and how he was great. And now you got these two men on the same team. Like, I, like in my mind, I'm like, oh my goodness, like. How could this, like, what, what's going through your mind? Yeah, I understand he's your father-in-law, but you understand the history between these two cats? Well, and there's, and there's something more elemental, too, about the whole case doesn't want to have anything to do with the defense. Yeah. Now, I, I don't care if he doesn't have a big say in the defense, um, but to literally have two different teams within, within the roster, which is what they're going to have. I mean, I'm in Chicago, and I lived through the days when Mike Ditka was the head coach of the Bears, and Buddy Ryan was so beloved by the defensive players um, that there was an internal war going on between Ditka and Ryan um, for control of that team. And it becomes so combustible. And, and, and it worked for the Bears for one year. You know, they were terrific one year. And the next year, eh, not so much. And, and and so that has me worried too. Uh, yeah, I think I love the I love the addition of Greg Williams. I want to see a defense that wants to attack. And not just lay back. Uh, first of all, you got to have the players to play it. I don't think they have it yet. Right. Secondly, is that the way that Adam Gase wants to, you know, have his football team? Because uh, he's not an offense. He's not a let's score right away type guy. You know, he's not a big bomb, big play guy. Yeah. Um, well, not exactly ball. Not exactly ball control, but but he wants to run a very good, efficient. Well, offensively, we have the right mind. I think Gase is a mind that is up to relevance with the way the NFL does its offensive schemes now. I think that he can bring another element to Sam Darnold's game. But you know what? It was something I was telling Keith before. A great quarterback is going to be great. 
even if they have a subpar coach, you know, you look at Chuck Pagano. Chuck Pagano is not a good coach. And Andrew Luck was phenomenal. I know he got him hurt. He got him hurt, but he was still phenomenal. So you know what? I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would agree with you that, that anybody coaching him is gonna, you know, is gonna allow him to be great. Um, the, the thing you really want to see, and I know you'll agree with this, is for the next couple of years you want to have continuity. Yes. Because you can't change the offense every year and expect your quarterback, you know, to make the natural leaps that they can make as they get more experience. Yeah, but you know what I'll say? This, I, I don't know how many examples I can think of of a guy that you go, that guy would have been great if he just didn't have that coach in my life that I could think of when it comes to quarterbacks. Maybe that's just me. Because even when people try to give Sanchez a bailout with coaching, he just wasn't good because he just wasn't a good quarterback. It had nothing to do with the coaching or what they surrounded him with. He just wasn't that good of a player. I think when it comes to Sam, though, and you know, it could be detrimental if it's a lot of drama. Also... We already have an example with the Jets when Rex Ryan was our coach. He basically just coached the defense. Yeah. And he let Schottenheimer and other offensive coordinators coach the offense. It didn't really work that well. Like Bob was saying, it's not really the best way yeah. necessarily to approach a team if you're if you're just already outwardly saying, oh, I'm not having nothing to do with the defense at all. Yeah. I mean, that. so basically, like Bob said, so basically we hired an offensive coordinator who is the head coach, but just coaches 50% of the team, and then Greg Williams, who, Greg Williams' track record, in so far as, uh, besides Rex Ryan, we really haven't had a guy with as good of a track record to coach the defense, and I know he had one to have his son involved, I know what you were mentioning with Gase, Mike, um, you know, nepotism is just, that's just, you can, you can go to the highest levels of politics right now, or anywhere you want, it's just part of our culture, yes. if, Gre- if the defense plays great, and Greg Williams has the defense playing in the top 10, I don't think people would care too much about that, but there's a point Bob made, which is, at this point, do we have those players? Probably not. I know we have Jamal Adams. We have a couple other guys. Under Leonard Williams has been, to me, 17 sacks in four years for someone that was supposed to be yeah. one of these top-of-the-line top defensive ends. That's not amazing. And that's what I wanted to ask you, Bob, is the decision-maker for the Jets, Mike McCagnon. His drafts have not been amazing. But I think because he drafted Sam... Even though Bowles got canned, he kind of got held over to the next the next regime here almost. And now he's in charge of $100 million, all these free agents that we could sign or not sign, the next the next uh, draft that we have, which we don't have a second-round pick, but the first-round pick and all the picks after that. Or do you have faith that he's the guy that's going to make the right decisions and can put the Jets in a place where next year or the year after that they can contend and make the playoffs in the AFC? I think Mike McCagnin is lucky that Chris Johnson and or Woody Johnson own the team because as Mike McCagnin himself said a year ago at the draft, oh my god, he's gonna fall to us. Yeah, I mean, that's you need to be prepared for these things. Don't be surprised, you're surprised at the draft, McCagnin. Why are you acting surprised? He's right. None of these things should be shocking to you. Every, every possible variable should have been in your mind, covered and thought out. Nothing should be that surprising, so I know what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, it seems to me, I, I think you were right before. I think they would have drafted Baker Mayfield if they had if they had their first choice. Oh, I yeah. Mean, right? uh, but, well, on the other hand, we got to give them credit. When they drafted guys in the first round, like six or earlier, they've made good picks, although... You know, I'm look, neither none of us are professional football scouts or experts, and so we can't really say, hey, we could have made those picks. No, we couldn't have made those picks. Those are, you know, you have to go into not only their playing ability, but their character and their background and, and what are they like off the field. Um, I, I think Williams should be retained, and I think they need to really build a defensive line so that you can 
turn this guy loose. Um, he's getting, come on, he's being double teamed on just about everything. Well, here's the thing, Bob. If you remember going back a couple of years, we had we took Quentin Copels, we took Mo Wilkerson. We took Sheldon Richardson. You know, now we got Williams. I was speaking with one of my friends about this who was on the podcast a few podcasts ago, Bennett Richardson, who uh, is an analyst, football analyst. And he was he was letting me know that Quinn Copels was not a 3-4 type defensive end. He was playing in a system that didn't fit his skill set. And Todd Bowles, did, okay, did not recognize that regarding him and, 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 and Leonard and switch his schemes around to fit the players. He just had his system and wanted his players to fit the system. So, you know, I agree with Keith about Leonard Williams. I've been very disappointed with what I've seen from him. But from what the experts say, he is a 4-3 defensive end. That's his natural position. And these players sometimes, when they play in their natural position, play exceptionally well a la Harry Anderson how he played on the Colts in a 4-3 and then he's more of a 3-4 defensive end so like you, you said in the last in the, in the last in the last offseason with all the guys that they signed and I thought they had a pretty good you know free agent period last year but every day I run on Twitter and every day I said and when is the pass rusher going to be signed yeah how I mean how many years have they gone now without filling that absolutely incredibly important need since john abraham probably john abraham and so that's a long time ago yeah yeah i mean that you know and, and kudos to parcells for for identifying him and and even after he left the jets and went to atlanta he had a lot of productive years yeah in the past but, but this year a, but this year such an obvious it's such an obvious need that i don't understand it's like no if you knew you needed a quarterback and you didn't draft a quarterback when you had the chance to draft, you know, one of the top guys, and, and they keep doing that, um, and, and I can't believe, you know, if I owned a football team, if I owned a baseball team, I would put more money into scouts than anything else. In absolutely, the absolutely, I, I absolutely. would, I would have twice as many scouts as anybody else in the league. Well, now, Bob, I know you want to get a pass rusher here, but. I don't know your take on the draft, but I want Jonah Williams. I understand he's not the number three pick. I understand we can trade down. I don't care about the defense anymore. We've had enough first-round picks in the defense. I hear Quinton Williams. I hear Josh Allen. I hear enough. Get the let's get this offensive line bolstered. I'm tired of it. Get the offensive line. You know you have you have to have you have to have the left tackle. You have to. You have to have the blind side covered. Yes. And. and, and I and I think that Shell at right tackle, if he stays healthy, is going to be a, a you know a good enough right tackle. You know they, they got to get the, they got to get a center. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, I like I'm a, look. I'm That's... a fan of Shell. Keith, Keith doesn't really like Shell for some reason. I'm a fan of Shell. I like Shell at the right tackle. Let's get a center. We'll have to bring on some guards, but get Jonah Williams. My good. The other thing that I want to stress, and I've said this to people recently, I'm much more concerned about what they do in the draft. Uh, and, and getting the draft correct uh, than I am in the, the free agency period. Because, yeah, they'll get some talented guys. They got a lot of money to throw around. But it takes time for guys to, to gel with everybody else around them. Yeah. You know? And, and, if they, and if they sign a great running back as a free agent, what hole is he going to run through? That's a, good, that's a good point. You know? Yeah. And, and, 
they, they've got to be able they've got to be able to block uh, and, and, and and block for the guy and the same thing you know you know goes at, at every other position one of the things that these guys really told they taught me in writing this book and I mentioned it before is knowing what the guy next to you can and cannot do and understanding what they can do on every single play and I used to talk to some of these old jet players after after jet games now and ask them to explain to me what they saw that concerned them and every time you see a guy in the secondary with blown coverage I now understand it's it's attributable to a handful of things one of them they may not be intelligent enough to play the position yeah and and the reason is if you don't study film morning noon and, and night if you don't understand every tendency of the guy you're playing against and watch every single play and not just the one from last week but but you know against other teams that run a similar type you know offense you're just not going to be that good and, and I think that's what makes Jamal Adams such a superlative player is that he just seems to do the work that you've got to do not only during the regular season but also at the Pro Bowl where he's KOing Patriots mascots. Oh, God. He, he's endearing himself. Jet he's endearing himself to Jet fans <laughs> in ways that we never imagined could happen with a player, which is tremendous. But do you... Keith, I, hope, I hope he doesn't get sued. Yeah, that's what I was going <laughs> to ask you guys. Keith, Keith, and, Keith and Bob and, and, and Nick, do you guys think it's a problem that Jamal Adams is like out there openly recruiting players on Twitter? I mean, it's kind of... Mike, this is this is 2019. This is a whole different world now than we used to live in. I mean, when it comes to when it comes to the way that that players communicate with one another and social media and how out there and out front things are in comparison to when the time when Bob is talking about when he, the, the book that he wrote about that time and this time, th- there's never been a bigger 180 because now everything's out there. Look players, at the, look at the NBA. The NBA is a perfect example. Everybody's recruiting. I mean, the players the players run the NBA. You know who the commissioner of the NBA is, Bob? LeBron James. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, and, and don't, I don't want to, you know, regret them what they owe, you know? J- Jamal, Ad- Jamal Adams is not doing anything that hasn't been done for a long time. Right. He's just saying it out loud. Yeah, yep. exactly. I, I was, I, you know, I was surprised at, at talking to these guys. Uh, from 50 years ago and the respect and the friendships that they had off the field with guys who, you know, were on the field with their mortal enemies. I mean, John Hagel, who was a really good quarterback for the San Diego Chargers for the longest time, he was best friends with Jim Hudson, who was the Jets' strong safe, and, and talked to me in great detail about Jim and what kind of person he was. And I heard this from other guys, too. That they didn't I, you know, to me as a fan, I thought, oh, they must hate each other. Yeah, yeah sure. sure. Right. You, know, you must, you must, you know, the guy that you play with, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, each week. But then you see these guys get down and pray at the end of a game. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the first time I saw that happen, I went, what the is that? But, but you know, you go on the field and you compete against, you know, these guys, and then you say, okay, you know, now I got, I got to let, I got to let it go. You know, I can't be a steaming, I, you know, I hear you. guy. I, I got one last question for you, Bob, personally, that I really want to know. 
from you. After one year of watching Ken O'Brien, after one year of watching Chad Pennington, and after now one year of watching Sam Darnold, which quarterback gave you the most hope after watching their first year playing quarterback for the New York Jets? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take Pennington out because I thought he was going to get killed because uh, he, was, he wasn't that big. Um, I, I didn't, you know, I, I had moved out here when Ken O'Brien basically started his career. So I, I watched him maybe three or four times and I actually had VCR tapes of, of some of those games from back then that once in a while I like to look and watch. No, I, I think Darnold's the real deal. I, I Look, you've you got to put your hopes in that. And, and, you know, the thing I haven't said tonight that I want to say about my hopes for the Jets is that unfortunately, I think that the team ownership of the Jets, and, and it's not just them, but other teams as well probably, they're more interested in making money than they are in winning football games. They may tell you, oh, I want to go to the Super Bowl, but if you gave Woody Johnson or Chris Johnson the choice, can make fifty million dollars this year, or you can go to the Super Bowl and ten million dollars. I'll tell you right now which option they would choose. It does seem to a degree that that might be more important than what what should be important, which is winning. Yeah, which is a fan base going back. To Bob and my dad, fans have been there since day one. To me and Mike, who've been here since the 80s. It's just a fan base that is an amazing fan base. They love their team. We deserve better than this. And I agree with Bob 100% when it comes to ownership. Our owner now is over in the UK. He's an ambassador somewhere else. So he has his little brother designated to run things. It's just such a bizarre setup. And it's not a situation where you feel like it's set up to succeed. But I want to put that aside for a second and hope that McCagnan, with the money that we have, can make the right choices when it comes to when it comes to who he's going to take, and also when it comes to the draft. Like we said, we don't have a second round pick, but we have a first round pick, top of top of every single round pick. So if we make the right decisions or are smart, get a few offensive linemen potentially when it comes to free agency, draft one, keep Shell. All of a sudden, maybe with the you can turn your offensive line around completely because last year I, I don't remember a time since I was young, since I saw Ken O'Brien get hit a billion times. Where offensive line was as bad as it was. Hey guys, let me let me ask you something. It's your podcast, but let me ask you something to wind up. Neither one of you were alive for the game 50 years ago or the team 50 years ago. It's been said to me uh, by several people, and I've heard it secondhand through the Jets, that younger people don't really care about what happened 50 years ago. What? Why? Why should a fan who is 25 or 30 or even 40 years old and Never saw this team play. Never saw Namath play. Why should they buy this book? It's kind of like the way, why would people go on Ancestry.com? Because they want to know where they're coming from. This book shows us where we come from. Gives us our history, our culture. We are gangrene. And this is a book that illustrates who we are. As, and we are very thankful and blessed to have had you on this podcast and have this book in our lives to understand Things that we never even knew. For anyone that is a Jets fan, you know, if if you if you were a fan back in 1968-69 when this happened, I mean, you'll read this book and there's things in there that you probably never knew when it comes to detail right. with Weeb Bank and a lot of the notes he had and just a lot of the, uh, the nuances Bob got into. But say you're not. Say you're someone like myself who's never seen the Jets win anything ever in my entire life. Uh, who's been tortured this entire time, who loves the Jets so much. I I'm someone who loves history to begin with. When you have a team and you love your team, if you don't know 
the history of your team. If, if, if in your mind, it's almost like the time I live in is the only time it exists, it's the only time that matters. That's not true. Right. You, you should know every player, all the great players. And when you go to MetLife and you look up and you see these names of players that you might not know yeah. from that team, they, their names are, guys, numbers are retired. Don Maynard's in the Hall of Fame. People don't even know that much about him. So it comes to the history of your team, everybody should know that. And a lot of teams still haven't won a Super Bowl. A lot of, you know, it's been a long time. I get it. The one that they won is the one that turned the tide to change things. Yeah. Like we talked about the aftermath and the, the scope of how things change with these leagues after that. More important than anything else, the Jets fans, as Jets fans, we don't have that many things to point to in our history that we can say are these shining moments and Bob wrote a book where you can look through and see a great team that we have and you can celebrate them because we don't have a lot of those things. And if you're the team that upset the Colts in the biggest upset in the history of the Super Bowl all these years later, still the biggest upset, you should know about, you should know all the players, you should know that it wasn't just Joe Namath like Bob wrote. And that was one of the best teams in the sixth season of all time. So it really, it really was a great read. I want to thank you for being on the podcast with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And I want you to know that so so many of the players told me that they love the book because it's something they will hand down generation to generation. So that long after they're gone, their great-grandkids and their great-great-grandkids will be able to pick something up and read about, you know, what, what great-grandpa Bill Baird did. You know, in, you know, in the 1960s that made a difference, you know, in the history of pro football. And there's no better fan base, Bob, than this fan base to have an artifact like that hundreds of years from now looking back and at this team uh, uh, to look at. And I'll, I'll read you something that makes you so proud as a Jet fan. Last year in 2017, when we were in our tank season, if you want to call it, we had nothing to play for. We were the number three team in attendance rating. Number three in the NFL ahead of the New York Giants. This year, this past year in 2018, where we were the number two team in attendance in the entire NFL, only under the Dallas Cowboys who have that 90,000 you know, stadium. The stadium's so big, that's why they've always beat us every year. But just know that the Jet fan comes out. They're passionate. They want to know about their history. And this is the... And they spend incredible amounts of money with those PSLs and everything else, and it's you know they're, they're willing to they're willing to put up, and uh, they, they deserve a lot better. They do. Than gotten. Uh, unfortunately, I can I can honestly say I've seen the Jets win a Super Bowl, so if they never do it again, I'll still have a smile on my face when I die. And I'll tell you one last story, and I'm going to let you go. I was in New York three weeks ago visiting my son who lives there, and I said to my wife, "I'm going into that Barnes and Noble on Broadway." I want to see if they have the book. And I go in there, and it's right there in the sports section, and it's got a beautiful, you know, front face. You, you guys have seen the book, so you know what an attractive cover it is. Went downstairs, talked to the customer service people. They told me, hey, we've sold two of these books in September. I said, <laughs> but, but, but you got to get the good news. I said, well, what's the good news if you only sold two? And they said, nobody has returned one. <laughs> <laughs> surprised how many people buy a book and then return it later in the week after they've read it. Wow. And that didn't happen. So I walk down the street and about two blocks later, there's this uh, big strapping guy wearing a Jets parka. And I went up to him and I said, are you really a Jets fan? And he said, yeah. And I said, can I talk to you for a second? And you know, he's looking at me like, what is this guy you know, going to pull? And I said, listen, I just want to talk to you because I'm a Jets fan. 
and I wrote a book and I gave him the spiel about the book or whatever and we talked for about five minutes and I said if you're really a Jets fan I think you would really enjoy the book and he said do you have any idea where I can buy it and I said there's a Barnes and Noble two blocks up the street you can buy it and I went after dinner that night I walked my wife over to the store and sure enough they had one less book on the shelf than they'd had the afternoon earlier well, there you go. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And Bob, if people do want to find the book, let them know where they can find it. Beyond, Beyond Broadway Joe, the Super Bowl team that changed football, you can obviously get it on Amazon. That's the cheapest place to find it. If you're in the New York metropolitan area, you can certainly find it. Barnes & Noble or in, in, in the, any other of your favorite bookstores. And if they don't have it, tell them to, to get it. It's easy enough to get. It's something I know you will enjoy. And one of the things I've been doing for people who are really interested, if you would like to get me to sign the book, buy it. The guys will tell you, uh, they'll, they'll run something or they'll be a communicating point to tell you how to send the book to me. And uh, really for six bucks, three dollars to send it to me and three dollars for me to send it back to you. I'll personally autograph it for you. People who've ordered 20 books and, and sent it to me and I've been very, really happy to sign it for all of them. Thank you very much, Bob. Mike, I want if anybody wants to get at us, then where can they do that, Mike? If you want to find us, we're on the Elite Sports Radio Network. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com. Please give us a like, a listen, and uh, we definitely appreciate the ratings. Please follow us on Facebook at AEBG.JetsRadio, on Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ podcast, and on Instagram at Jet.AEBG. You heard the man. Thank you, everybody, for listening. On behalf of Bob Letterer, Mike Lagaris, the big Wookiee, my name is Keith Farrell. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll get at you next week. Peace out. Are you ready? The New York Jets can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jeff fans. Jeff fans. Jeff fans. Very passionate. Bird, Bird. Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jeff fans. Very passionate. Brady sucks. Don't be the sucks. I want a number leaver.